In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today we're joined by AJC Washington correspondent Tamar Hallerman to talk about how these two mass shootings in Ohio and Texas over the weekend re-sparked the gun debate. Not only over gun rights, but also over something called red flag legislation. Tamar, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's get right to it. Um, This debate, and we wrote a story about this for Sunday's newspaper in a tag team story, um, but this debate, this gun debate was always a big issue in the 2018 election. There's no way around it, but it might even be a bigger issue in 2020. Exactly. 2018 is when we saw Brian Kemp get elected. Obviously, he he really captured everyone's attention with really flashy ads during the Republican primary, his infamous Jake ad, as it's called, where he's polishing a shotgun in front mm-hmm. of an, an actor who's kind of a, a suitor, you know, trying to get his daughter's attention. And then we also saw the election of Lucy McBath in Georgia 6, a gun control advocate who first got involved in politics after her teenage son was fatally shot in 2012. So this was always an issue, but basically the thesis of our story for Sunday's paper was how these these twin shootings really bring this to the forefront even more going into 2020. Yeah, and you have kind of two politicians that represent extreme, isn't the word, but but the two different uh, polls in gun rights debates, Brian Kemp who had that famous ad, but also his policies. I mean, he supports something called constitutional carry, which would allow permitless gun carrying in Georgia and a a gun sales tax ammo break that would be timed over over July 4th. And on the other hand, you had Lucy McBath, who, as you mentioned, was, you know, a prominent gun rights activist after her teenage son was shot and killed, who wants who stridently talks about more gun control restrictions. Um, so you've got those two, those two opposites in the same general Georgia uh, political smorgasbord here. Um, and so the question that we tried to answer is, okay, where could there be compromise? And red flag legislation seems to be at least one of the opportunities. Exactly. And, and this is going to play out both on the state level and in Washington. You know, this is something the legislature has been talking about. You know, they weren't able to get anything passed over the last couple of years. And as we're talking about it in D.C., it's something that a lot of my sources say, you know, it will have to be coupled with state level actions. On the federal level, you mentioned Lucy McBath. She's a member of the House Judiciary Committee, which has jurisdiction over gun rights. And she actually introduced a federal version 
of the red flag laws back mm. in June. And, and what's interesting about that, you know, she's co-sponsored a lot of gun control legislation since she's gotten here. Most of those have really been kind of Democrat only bills. But what was interesting about the red flag bill is that it's a mirror image of a um, of a bill introduced in the Senate by Lindsey Graham, you know, the Republican chairman of the Judiciary Committee, who's very close to Donald Trump. So I see that as the real area of potential bipartisan cooperation. Yeah, let's talk about that because so red flag legislation is also known as extreme protection orders, but they would allow judges to order that weapons be seized from an individual thought to be a danger to himself or others. And in some states, about 15 or so states have versions of this legislation. In some states, basically allow a loved one, a, a relative to petition the courts to say, so when, you know, if this family member, this loved one, here's re- there's reasons to believe he is a danger to himself. Here's why. And then the judge would grant the petition and allow authorities to take those, those weapons away. So there, there are several levels there before that can be taken. Uh, the, the weapons can be taken away. Um, but it's still not a very easy debate. President Trump expressed general support for for these extreme protection orders, but also did not specify what he thought about it. He didn't say whether or not he wants it to be federal or state. And we had a a muted reaction at best from Republicans in Georgia about that idea. Exactly. You know, on the one hand, um, you know, the reason why this specific part of the gun rights debate has come up is, is because with these two shooters in El Paso and Dayton, you know, we're hearing now from family members, girlfriends, you know, people in these these shooters' lives who said, yeah, there, there were warning signs over the years. You know, it's unclear whether a red flag law could have prevented those shootings, but, but there are things where the people around them saw something and, and were kind of wondering. Um, so that's why this is brought to the forefront. But you also have a lot of conservatives, including Doug Collins, a, a congressman from Georgia, the top Republican on the, the Judiciary Committee, who's very concerned about due process of, of law-abiding folks who who perhaps, you know, he's, he's very nervous that one person could accuse another willy-nilly and, and, you know, the person being accused could have their Second Amendment rights restricted. And, and he's very nervous about that and, and wants to kind of find a way around it so that, um, you know, law-abiding folks aren't having that taken away from them. So in Georgia, we had State Representative Matthew Wilson, who represents a, a swingy, uh, formerly Republican district in Brookhaven that, that's now pretty solidly Democratic district. We've had him introduce red flag, a version of red flag legislation in Georgia that really went nowhere um, this past legislative session. Um, with now that Trump has at least voiced some support for it, we, we went back and, and surveyed his top Republican leaders. And we kind of got the same answer from it, from it, from most of them. I mean, Governor Kemp said he's closely monitoring the discussions, but didn't offer any any sort of support. Um, David Perdue, the U.S. Senator uh, who's running for re-election next year, said basically he, he it wasn't even muted support. He said, "Let me, I've got to take a look at this." But to say that I'm for the red flag legislation would be an overstatement because of concerns I have about due process. And then other leaders kind of took a um, took a pass at it. Um, Senator Isaacson, we didn't hear from his camp on it, and, and House Speaker David Ralston and Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan both essentially said um, they're going to be watching what the federal federal officials do. So it 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 doesn't seem like we've got a big movement towards red flag legislation, but you never know. And if and if Trump comes out more in support of it, it could give politicians some cover. But as we've mentioned before, he's been kind of so wishy washy. You know, he's in past after past massacres, he's come out in support of 
of more strident steps and then kind of scaled back. Um, and so Republican officials are very wary about about uh, taking the step. Exactly. You know, red flag laws have been debated for several years now, and this is traditionally something that the NRA has been really opposed to. So mm-hmm. everyone's looking at Trump and everyone's looking at the or the uh, the NRA to see what they, they have to say. And, and just think a lot of these Republicans have been elected kind of using a lot of the same talking points that the NRA has been talking about for years. And so the only way politically that I think a lot of these guys think that they can break from the NRA is if they get political cover from the president, as you mentioned. And, you know, he has in recent days been talking about how he wants to see stronger background checks and, and potentially a red flag bill. But I think they need him to come out very forcefully if they are going to break from the NRA. And right now, I don't think folks have seen that from him. And look, there are there are concrete political consequences for Republicans who do this. Um, who who do break with the NRA in in more competitive swing districts? It's not as it's it's not as sweeping, but um, locally Republicans are pushed by gun rights rights activists who can influence primaries, and and there are threats of primary challenges to local legislators who aren't quote unquote strong enough, you know, who don't have those A A plus ratings from the NRA, and so that's why you see at the local level and the state level, um, Republicans by and large support support any sort of NRA policies. And, and sometimes even beyond that, there are even more strident groups like Georgia gun owners that, that advocate for policies even the NRA doesn't advocate for, um, who also give out ratings and who also influence not necessarily the general elections, but certainly the primaries where you've got more of a, of a uh, more fervent conservative base going out to vote. Exactly. And a lot of this has to do with the way our current political system is designed, right? Because of gerrymandering Mm -hmm. for a lot of these elected officials, the biggest threat to their reelection is not from somebody of the opposite party. Most of these districts are not competitive. It's from, you know, a a primary challenge, either from your left or from your right. So you're so nervous about crossing your base. And on the Republican side, you know, Second Amendment rights, the NRA has such sway over folks that they're, they're terrified to do anything unless Trump, who's overwhelmingly popular with the Republican base, forcefully steps out. Look, case in point, I mean, within hours of, of Trump talking about red flag legislation, we had Georgia conservative activists warning, threatening that they'll pull back their support for Senator Perdue if he dared, you know, echo the president. So that that's that's what a you know tricky topic this is. And certainly we saw this last year with uh, in the Republican race for governor, where you had candidates bending over backward is sort of an understatement, but doing everything they possibly could to court the NRA's endorsement, including what Casey Cagle did to eventually win it, which was um, basically repeal, strike down a tax break intended for Delta um, because Delta tweeted something negative about uh, rescinded a, a, a discount for NRA members, right? So we saw that locally in Georgia. We'll see that again. I mean, there's no way this debate is going anywhere. And also we're seeing that with Democrats who even as Republicans move towards the uh, a pro-Second Amendment positions even more so, we're seeing Democrats go the opposite direction, which is new in Georgia. Yeah, exactly. We have somebody like Sanford Bishop, one of our five Democratic members of Congress or members of the House from, from Georgia. He's from a Southwest 
district that includes Albany and Columbus, uh, Blue Dog Democrat, so pretty centrist, and he has an A rating from the NRA, gun rights Democrat. But even he recently, you know, he voted for two Democrat authored uh, gun control bills earlier this year, one for universal background checks and another to expand, uh, extend the review period for the FBI if you've been flagged within their, uh, their system. And, you know, he's he's even been saying, you know, I think there's room to be pro-Second Amendment, but also to have reasonable gun control policies. The big question for me right now being in Washington, we are right at the beginning of the five-week August recess. And this is a new cycle that moves so quickly now with social media and our president being so active on it. It's a real question if when folks return after Labor Day, if this is still you know, at the, on the front burner. Because if it's not, then there's there's really very little chance that this will change. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that you, you're even hearing lawmakers say. I mean, Senator Purdue said that the other day. He goes, look, will I still be talking about this? Will you still be talking about this? Will the public still be asking me about this in, in five weeks? Um, or will we move on to the next thing? Because, you know, he's saying that we need, we need to take some sort of compromise bipartisan action, although didn't specify what, but that's a common question. Um, and of course, we've got we've got Democrats who are saying the time for you know modest steps is is over. We need to do something much more significant because we saw the ban of bump stocks um, not long after the Las Vegas massacre. And bump stock is the device that basically lets you lets you just shoot rounds much faster than any conventional weapon would allow. And there was a loophole in the law that kind of allowed bump stocks to be sold. So there was the ban of bump stocks, but but Democrats say it's time for you know they they see these as half measures and and they're pushing for the for restrictions or bans on assault style weapons and high capacity magazines and expanded background checks and and of course also these red flag measures and it seems like at least with expanded background checks and red flag measures you know there there could be that third way there could be that that compromise but as you mentioned in five weeks will this still be on the tip of everyone's tongue. And here's the thing, there's so much mistrust, especially on the Republican side toward Democrats. You know, it seems like in this moment, perhaps there is some willingness to talk about some of these gun control measures that for years were considered a non-starter. But Democrats do have to be really careful about, you know, overstepping because there's there's so much that's not acceptable to Republican lawmakers and to their voters when it comes to guns. And where is that comfort zone? You know, the, I understand why Democrats want to push in this moment. This does feel like it's an inflection point, at least right now. But um, how far is too far? You know, what is too much for a Republican to swallow in this climate? And no one wants to revive any sort of, you know, take back my guns type rhetoric because I, I just was cold calling some some Georgia voters for this story that we were working on. And more than a few conservatives who I reached were were worried about losing their guns. They were law-abiding citizens. They were worried about about democratic efforts to take their guns away. And and there's a nuance there, right? I mean, these extreme protection orders, this red flag, if you're law-abiding, no one's taking your guns. But if there is a sort of ban on assault-style weapons, um, it depends on how the wording is written. Most of them are are, are are not retroactive. Most of them are going forward. But you know, so there's there's a lot of rhetoric out there about if Democrats are able to 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 ban assault style weapons, what will happen to people who who already own them? So there's just a lot of um, there's a lot of passion and and frustration out there. And I talked to some voters too who live in who live in conservative areas who own guns, but acknowledge that yeah, you know, my my right to own a gun does not supersede the right to protect school children and young citizens out there. So it's a very, very thorny debate. And, and 
as as we've talked about, um, there's no clear consensus path between these two parties. The the two the two parties seem much more polarized about this than the general electorate, at least, at least according to the polls that we've taken. Yeah, we, we did a poll back in 2018 ahead of the Republican primary that found that about 40% of the, sorry, 45% of the Republican primary voters that we polled believe that, that more should be done on this issue. But then an equal amount, about 46%, didn't think more needed to be done. Um, so, so folks are pretty divided on this, um, but, but looking at the rhetoric that you're seeing, you know, it's, it's mid 28, sorry, mid 2019, we're still pretty far off from 2020, but already the rhetoric you're seeing from the campaigns about this is so ugly, so escalated. You're seeing this a lot with attacks on Lucy McBath, the gun control advocate mm-hmm. in Georgia six and who's politicizing this tragedy and. You know, it's it's so ugly. So it just makes me wonder whether there is any, you know, this is going to have to be such a delicate compromise. And the, the rhetoric really is not delicate. And remember, and it's interesting, the Lucy, you mentioned the, the attacks on Lucy McBath for, you know, quote, politicizing it. Her answer to that is really intriguing because she's she's saying, hey, I'm not politicizing anything. I got in this race for Congress in the first place back in early 2018 because my son was, was killed. It's always been... It's always been at the forefront of any of discussions about of her election strategy. So she's saying, all I'm doing is continuing to highlight what I've highlighted since I got in this race. Yeah, but, but you know, there's there's so little room for nuance in these campaigns. You know, the House Republicans campaign arm, they, they really uh, pushed to seize on this gaffe she had during a press conference a couple months ago mm-hmm. where, where, you know, she she her campaign at least told us she meant to say a gun violence free society, but she said a gun free society. And folks really have moved to capitalize on that. It's been in a ton of Republican advertising that I've seen so far. And see, Lucy McBath wants to take away your guns. Now she says, look, I believe in the Second Amendment. I grew up in a home with guns. But the problem is there's a lot of people who you know, are doing this irresponsibly or, or there's not responsible checks on who can acquire a gun in the first place. But a lot of that nuance is completely lost. And, you know, on Twitter, where we're talking about 140 characters. Mm-hmm. And all this is also happening in the backdrop of, 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 of the suburbs, the metro Atlanta suburbs, where, where you know, to, to conservative voters, guns are still an important issue, but they might not be as, as top of priority as they are in other parts of the state. And this is also where Democrats feel like next year in the legislative session that they can pressure the the remaining Republicans. Uh, remember, Democrats you know had a had a huge midterm election where they took about a dozen legislative seats, mostly in the suburbs. But there's still a number of Republicans in those metro Atlanta suburbs. They feel like they can pressure them next year on some of the lower hanging fruit. I mean, the, everyone kind of concedes there won't be an assault style rifle ban or. or, or passing in Georgia next year, but there are, there's the red flag version of, of legislation in Georgia that, that could get some traction, but there's also something um, that that seems like could also um, reach a vote. We don't know yet. We haven't heard from any Republican leading of Republican officials on this, but um, it's an issue of involuntary mental health uh, records. And it's a little confusing, but basically federal law bans people who have been involuntarily committed for mental health treatment from buying guns. But state law requires Georgia to purge those records after five years. So in effect, that law can't be, the federal law can't really be uh, upheld because after five years, all those records are gone. Now, Democrats and some Republicans have long said this is a problem, but it's never but uh, any effort to repeal this legislation has never really gone through. And we had just a few days ago, 
one of the most prominent former Republican officials in Georgia, ex-Attorney General Sam Olin, say this law is dangerous. It needs to be repealed immediately. It's a danger to law enforcement and a danger to the society is what he said. So it'll be interesting to follow this legislation too. There's there's a piece of, uh, it's pending in the state Senate um, and, and it will definitely, the debate over that will definitely be revived next year. We'll just see how far that will go. Yeah, there's also a couple others that have been floating around the state legislature over the last year or two. I believe Jen Jordan has one having to do with um, domestic violence and mm-hmm. and spouses who who have guns who've been accused of domestic abuse and, and that sort of thing as well. You got it. And But against that backdrop, we still have, um, we, we've been talking about the gridlock in in Washington over gun debate, but there has not really been too much gridlock in Georgia because instead of gridlock, the, Georgia's moved um, pretty aggressively to expand gun rights over the years. In 2014, we had Governor Deal sign what was called the known as the Guns Everywhere Bill that allowed Georgians to legally carry fire, firearms in places like schools, bars, churches, and government buildings. Um, and in 2016, we had a new law that allowed people with firearms permits to carry concealed weapons onto public college and university campuses, um, except for a few you know, areas in those campuses. So there are some exceptions to that, but that was called the Campus Carry Bill. So we've had some pretty vast gun rights expansions that have, that have made you know, the, uh, the Second Amendment lobby very happy in Georgia over the last couple of years. But at the same time, we've seen a lot of our state Democrats really harden in their opposition to to gun rights, um, or that's not the right way to put it, or be more resolved to, to enact gun control anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be the sort of thing where you had gubernatorial candidates like Roy Barnes and Jason Carter who would proudly talk about how they were endorsed by the NRA or their, you know, would seek that endorsement, seek that A rating. And now, I mean, you saw Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans last year in the, the gubernatorial Democratic primary um, talk about how proud they were for their low ratings from the NRA. It's, it's really just amazing how quickly that's changed within two, three, four years. And that's shaping the 2020 races and particularly the, the U.S. Senate contest. We talked about David Perdue and his, I wouldn't say ambivalent, his sort of skeptical view of, of uh, red flag legislation. Um, but his two announced Senate opponents, uh, Clarkston Mayor Ted Terry and former Columbus Mayor Teresa Tomlinson, have taken um, very firm positions um, uh, 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 on gun control. Exactly. And they've been um, really hammered by Republican groups for, for moving so far to the left. But what, what's been interesting, especially about Ted Terry, is that He's tied this this gun rights debate to some of a lot of the rhetoric that David Perdue's been using on the campaign trail, warning about the leftward drift of Democratic candidates, warning about the threat of socialism and and how it's a threat to our way of life. And Terry posted a video on his Twitter feed where where basically he he linked a lot of the rhetoric Perdue was using, warning about the threat of socialism to um, you know, a lot of this rhetoric that's that's led to kind of these extremists going out and shooting people. And we'll we'll be following very closely once the congressional uh, recess ends in a few weeks. See what action, if any, is taken. And and we've heard a little bit from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, at least an, a, a willingness um, to to hear about expanded background checks and red flag legislation. So he he's kind of hinted that he's he's open to it. Right, Tamar. 
Exactly. And he's been under a lot of pressure from Democrats lately to reconvene the Senate early. Like I said, they're on their August recess. Um, folks want him to bring the Senate back in to start debating that legislation. That seems really unlikely. Folks are kind of all over around the, you know, all over the country and the world on official trips. They're taking vacations. They're with their constituents. But he gave an interview this week and in his very characteristically opaque Mitch McConnell language suggested that he is willing to look at red flag issues, at expanded background checks. He mentioned talking to President Trump about stuff like that. But what he also mentioned is that he's only willing to seek bipartisan approaches, which means that all of these bills that House Democrats have really been pushing you know, at best, those are going to be watered down. And, you know, it's it's probably only going to be a fraction of what Democrats have been asking for. But I guess we really don't know. There, there was a really concerted effort after the um, Sandy Hook shootings in 2012 to, to do something on expanded background checks. And there was just a really painstaking bipartisan compromise stuck by, uh, struck by Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania on that. And even this was back when the Democrats controlled the Senate and they were not able to come up with a filibuster proof majority. So everybody said that was kind of the moment back in 2013 to, to enact gun control. And I'm so skeptical if they couldn't do it back then, you know, when children were killed at an elementary school, I, I really wonder if we'll be able to get there mm -hmm. now, but president Trump, man, he's the, the magic bullet. If he, if he comes out forcefully for something, I think he can move mountains. Well, you just, you invoked the, the key phrase here that, that Republicans and lawmakers are hearing at public events now, which is do something. And I'll, I'll close it with this quote that, that I talked to um, as, as an attorney down in Statesboro named Keith McGowan. And he told me he owns several firearms. He grew up in a hunting culture, but he also gets the pressure that lawmakers face to act to curb this gun violence. And, and this is what he said. I don't know the answer. If I did, I'd be the king of the world and I'd fix the problem. It's heartbreaking what's going on. I'm definitely in the do something camp, but I'm not sure what that something is. So hopefully we'll hear what that something is. But as you as you mentioned, um, Trump is the key to that something. Absolutely. We'll be watching closely. Well, thanks for joining us tomorrow. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.